The Emergency Medical Minute proudly presents Stacey Bear, Iraq war veteran, who shares his struggles with PTSD, addiction, suicidal ideations, and how he coped with these day-to-day battles through climbing. This is Untamed, medicine in wilderness, wilderness as medicine. How cool is it to be in Colorado? You guys just elected, I know we're supposed to talk about medicine and the outdoors, but can we just take a minute to recognize that Colorado elected the first openly gay man like it wasn't even a thing? So my name is Stacy Bear. My mom thinks I run adult summer camps. I'm 40 years old. In my early 20s, I went into an acceptable career for my family. I was in the United States military. And after that, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer, a doctor, and like about half of you in here, I was also in pre-med for my first semester of college. <laughs> I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer, I could be a soldier, or I could be a minister. And that's where tonight's talk starts. So my dad grew up in southeast West Virginia. He went to the Rock Camp Baptist Church. There's a little bit of Pentecostal in anybody in West Virginia. I grew up in the Methodist tradition in South Dakota. Most of that was based around hot dish and Jesus. (laughs) I went off to college at the University of Mississippi because somebody saw that I was a tall individual and thought I could play basketball. When I arrived on campus, they were surprised to find out that Stacy was also a boy's name. It was the 90s. There wasn't as much internet. (laughs) So I would say to start... My name is Stacy Bear. It's Bear of the English Naked, so don't Google me at work if you have an IT department that cares, all right? Just like, definitely not an image search. But I was 19 years old, I had my first drug overdose, and I became a born-again Christian, and I started to preach. And I thought, as I was looking back over the journey of the last 21 years since that time, I went to war, I came home from war, And I thought, well, what could I say to a group of people interested in medicine and wilderness? And I've done all sorts of research on forest bathing and everything else like that. I talked to Dylan. I said, yeah, maybe I can do some science. He started talking. I said, you know what? I'm not going to talk about science. I have a philosophy degree from the University of Mississippi. At my graduation party, my dad got drunk. He told everybody my brother graduated magna cum laude. And then he'd point to me and said, that one graduated thank the laude. So I figured what we'd talk about tonight is a homily of dirt. And any great homily starts with a passage of scripture. And in Genesis 2-7, in the King James edition, we learn that then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. And thus, man was born. We are a fallen world. There is pain and trauma in this world and in this generation that I don't think any generation before us has ever truly felt. And it's not just a physical pain. And maybe you're lucky, and maybe you've escaped that pain, but I would bet that you haven't. And the reason that pain exists is because of a separation. In 1989, for the first time, I lined up knives on a table in hopes that I would bleed out. My mom came home to put a casserole in the oven before the PTA meeting, and we never talked about that evening again. Why were the knives and the razor blades out? We didn't talk about it. 
1993, I thought about it again. In 1995, I knew the fastest, quickest, easiest way to die was to cut up here so that the blood would drain out quicker in both sides. But for some reason, I never did it. I didn't want to be a burden. And so I joined the army. I went off to see new worlds. I went off beyond the horizon. And I came home in 2007. And I could barely keep it together. And one of the things I thought about when I first came home is, turn to God. It worked once before. Maybe it can work again. But here's what I remember about God. I want to set the stage for you. When I was in the army, I didn't have a beard. I weighed about another 60 pounds, and I was not a fat man. I found myself on a road like this, praying to God that I could find a way to get both knees into the femoral arteries of a man I had just met as I scooped his intestines off of the dirty ground and screamed for somebody to come and help. And what did I want them to do? I wanted them to reattach, religio. I wanted them to find a way to put this man back together. And I wanted to know why we were here. So in 2007, when I came home, I had that thought. Lots of other thoughts, too, and I couldn't sleep because I had dreams that would wake me up at night. And when I got woken up from one of those dreams, and so often, I was right back on my knees. And this is the same position people are supposed to use when they're supplicant to God, and I was trying to stop a man from dying. And I'd wake up paralyzed at night. And those dreams would stick like a laundry cycle. And finally, I could get to the point where beyond the alcohol and the cocaine and everything else that I was using to try and feel or to try and end to feel, and I would lay there paralyzed, and I would think, how could I feel? How could I escape? And I cannot tell you the number of times, and suicide is still a regular visitor in my mind, where I would lay down in bed, stuck, unable to move, and in slow motion, I would think about what it would be like to have a bullet the size of my pinky enter into my chest, the skin move around it, break through the rib cage, slip through the front wall of my heart, and explode out the back. And for one fucking moment, I would feel something. And then it would be over. But then I would still be a burden. And finally, after enough times of thinking through that, I could stand up and I would walk around whatever building I was in, hoping that I could exhaust myself back into sleep. And partner after partner would wonder what was happening and they would wake up and they could feel the psychological viscera laying where my shoulder blades had laid next to them. And they'd get up and they wouldn't know why, but they were worried. And they would come and find me and they would walk me back to bed like where I was an old man. And I would lay back down and I would do something that a therapist had taught me. And I would put a candle in my mind, and I'd take all the anxiety, and I'd take all the pain, and I'd put it into that fire and let it burn up. And then when I was ready to go to sleep, I could puff, puff out that candle, and asleep I'd go. So I'm going to take you to 2009, where all of a sudden, the last thing I would put in the candle was me. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to disappear. That's what I wanted to do. 
I didn't want to be a burden. I had a biome. I had things that were, I was responsible for. I didn't want anybody to haul 300 pounds of meat away from a bed. But I turned to science then. But you know what science couldn't tell me was why a man who had two kids and so much to live for, why did he die? And why did a cokehead, useless piece of shit like me live? I didn't know. Science couldn't tell me and God couldn't tell me. And you know what ended up happening? I washed up on these rocks. And one version would say that it took millions of years of pressure and heat and ice and wind and all these things to make these rocks. And another version might tell me that those rocks were made by the hand of God 6,000 years ago. But guess what? They're there. And so I found myself on that rock. And for the first time in so long, I found myself in a moment. I wasn't guilty about my future. I wasn't fearful about my past. And something hit me in that moment. And I remembered that so often in this world, because of the so much pain that we have, people will reach out and they'll say, I have a solution. And if you go against that solution, the person who's thought of that solution gets so angry. And it's not like you're just trying to get in another opinion. They think that you're trying to make everybody hurt if you don't believe in that solution. And so they attack and they create systems around what it's looked like to be healthy or normal. And all those systems do are cage you in. And the more you fight back against those systems, the more pain you're in. If you've ever seen an animal in a trap, you know what that's like. The more they fight, the worse it becomes. But in that moment, on the rock, I realized I had something in me I hadn't had forever, and it was joy. Unrepentant, untamed, childish, beastly, feral joy. That's what happened to me in that moment. And I thought, whoa, this is it. And since that time, I've really learned two things. One is, it doesn't matter where you got your trauma. How I got my trauma might be unique to how you got your trauma. Only 1% of Americans serve in the United States military. But that I had trauma, everybody's got trauma. Life is hard. And it doesn't really matter. We shouldn't spend so much time saying my trauma is more or less or this or that. If you are in pain, hold on to that pain. Allow yourself to feel. Allow yourself to hurt. We will miss you if you are gone. It is not as easy as just snuffing out a light. We want you here. I want you here. That is the first thing I have learned. And it blew my mind open because so much of my identity had been wrapped up in that pain and that trauma. And if somebody else said they had pain and trauma, I'd say, did you serve? Were you there? But fuck that. Most people aren't going to be there. And I'm not going to be with you in your pain most of the time. I don't know what you've been through. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to say you're hurt. It's okay to be hurt. It doesn't mean you're broken. 
And the second thing I learned as I went back into it, because probably like a lot of you, if you do have any sort of spiritual faith or science or whatever, you're wondering, what the hell is going on in the world today? So I've been digging back into the scriptures and I've been digging back into science. And here's what I've learned. Going back to Genesis 2-7. Look at any religious text. There's something like 17 different religions, maybe 27, that have the same more or less start about man being made out of dirt or clay or mud or the goddess created woman first and she created out of her mud. And you can look at that and you can say, there we are. Religion knew that we were made out of mud. Because even if you look at science, it tells you that we came from stars and we came out of these muddled puddles and singular cell organisms and we went from that and we oozed out of the mud until all of a sudden we dropped between our mother's two legs with a tiny little neck and a huge head. (laughs) And you got to hold them right away. And babies are so damn slippery when they come out, it's so frightening. (laughs) But either way, It tells us that we come out of mud and dust to dust, right? How many times have you heard that at a funeral? And what's the best thing a human body can do? Feed plants, right? We can be the best compost. (laughs) We can grow great tomatoes right here. And that's what's so critical about that is whether you go to God Whether you go to science, we start in mud, and you're going to end in mud. And you might think that you've got the biggest mausoleum, but guess what? None of it matters. None of it lasts. I mean, there's whole civilizations in the Gobi Desert. They're gone. They're just dust. But what causes so much of that pain and so much of that trauma is that there are so many things that separate us from this elemental rudimentary, basic humanness. And that is mud. That is where you've got to go. It may not provide the healing immediately, but if nothing else, beyond all the amazing scientific words you heard tonight that are probably somewhere on an old note card from a failed test that I didn't study enough for, to figuring out all the things about hypothermia. Yeah, you can get lost in that mud. You can get addicted to that mud. Maybe it can be a bad thing too. I've nearly died out in the mud. I've done a lot of dumb things on rocks and on skis and in rivers, and I could keep going. But that is where I have found my truest self because it has allowed me to sit with the paradox and the hypocrisy. And the best thing about nature is it does not care about you. The mountains are not calling you. They don't have a cell phone. And I would like to think that if a mountain did have a soul, and by the way, I believe they do. I think all things do. They're all moving, right? Like, have you ever been to Joshua Tree? Joshua Trees are moving. They're walking away from us. They're like, leave us alone. Go back to Vegas. We're just chasing after him. Give him a hug. I don't even know what I was going to say next now. (laughs) Nature isn't calling, but you can sit with the paradox of yourself and you can hold it right there. And if nothing else, that will allow you to move forward. It will allow you to be who you are. It is the one place where you can be fully and totally your complex, weird, 
hypocritical, paradoxical self. And when that happens, there's two other things that happen. You can break out with the anger and you can cut people with those shards or you can break open and figure out how to love people because this is what I love about nature. Have you ever been walking down the path and all of a sudden you see something really amazing you're like, whoa, look at that. And then somebody else comes up and you're like, hey, check out that waterfall. And what's your sexual orientation and who'd you vote for and how old are you and what's your racial background? It never happens. (laughs) Stay focused on the awe. Stay focused on the mud. So that, if there's anything else, one last thing about religion, which I think is really, we could keep going on religion. But here's the thing. The other scripture I want to talk about is about Cain and Abel. How many of you are familiar with that story, right? Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, they go out. God comes down. He finds favor with Abel. Cain gets really upset and he kills Abel. Well, what did Abel do? What I love about Abel is he is God's first dirtbag. He just wanders around the mountains with a flock of sheep having the time of his life. Meanwhile, Cain's like, well, we gotta, we're going to cultivate this, we're gonna, you know, work really hard, that's a good value, and God's going to be so happy, and God comes down and he's like, seriously, Cain, like I created this whole beautiful earth and you spent your whole time in 10 acres? Which sometimes leads me to believe that that's also a critique on rock climbing, but anyway... Um, like, yeah, I spent eight days going up roughly 200 square feet. Um, so, but something happens, right? Cain is cast out. And yet look at the last 2,000 years. Cain is winning. That is why we're in so much pain. This is not the world that scientifically, evolutionarily, spiritually, that we were supposed to inhabit. We're supposed to live in the mud. We're supposed to live like Abel. So rise up. Be the people of Abel. Be the people of mud and embrace that and remain untamed. Thank you.